Today's episode is brought to you by JetTech, an incredible Australian-made company specializing in jet ski accessories. Fish boxes, fish bags, jet ski sleds, jet ski sunglass, goggle hybrids, anything you can think of that you might need for your ski, they've got it. I just got myself a ski primarily for fishing purposes and JetTech absolutely blew my mind with their range of products. They're pretty much essential if you're thinking of ripping in some fish off the back of your ski and they've got you fully covered if you're thinking of using your ski for surfing purposes. Just make sure you do the right thing and don't piss off anyone who's paddling. Ain't That Swell presents Crawlords. Today we're joined by Ricky Basnett, a South African former world tour surfer who Geordie Smith once described as the greatest South African surfer of his generation. Ricky, you might recall, famously failed to win a single heat during his second year on the world tour. What is often forgotten, however, is that he was ranked 20th in the world the year previous, a solid result for a 22-year-old rookie back when the tour was the top 45. As you're about to hear, that year's straight of dirty turds, aka 33rds, aka last place finishes, was the culmination of years of alcoholism and apathy towards competitive surfing. Ricky's journey to sobriety is worth sticking around for, and it's cosmic in the extreme. Meditation, connection with nature, and surfing all feature heavily in his recovery. There's some political and environmental activism too, some fascinating art and photography projects, and a ton of tattoos, including a string of barbed wire running across his forehead. Ricky is the epitome of core, in my opinion, an ultra-talented surfer who is ahead of his time in many ways, who then transitioned from self-sabotaging, supremely talented surf punk to pious family man and quasi-Buddhist monk. Absolutely fascinating, fucking lord. We had to step down in technology, but my Mac uh, decided it wasn't the day today. Oh, old Jobsy, eh? Stinging you yet again. Fucking worm food, that cunt. Good riddance. Hmm. Hmm. You know, that's how it goes. <laughs> it's good to see well, your lemon spread, you? mate. Yeah, fuck, I'm good, bro. How are you going? Yes. Good, good, man. It's fucking hot here. We're uh, dying, dying of heat. That's all good. Yeah, mate, it's boiling here too. Summer sucks. I had a gut full. I fucking hate summer. Where you go? Are you go in Sydney? No, I'm up near uh up near Ballina, Byron Bay, North Coast area. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, did you ever spend much no. time up this neck of the woods? I'm sure you you probably competed at Snapper, did you? Yeah, fuck us. I, I um I used to go to Oz tons um when I was younger. Fuck us. I first started going there. I think I had surfed like. World Juniors there when I was 13 was my first trip. Wow. And then I kept going back, I mean, every year until my mid-20s, I guess. Yeah, I was, I was kind of like a second home. Um, my family lives over there as well. And really? Yeah. Yeah, my sister moved over about, about like seven years ago, eight years ago, and my parents joined her, her 2020. It was COVID. No way. Um, yeah, they got a big fucking farm, like 80 acre farm, about an hour and a half from Sydney towards Newry. Oh, yeah. Um, like half hour, half hour from the beach. 
but I haven't actually been to Oz in like ten years, so I'm I'm frothing. I need to get back there. Got to get down here, man. It's uh, yeah. There's definitely some cultural similarities. Like when I go to South Africa, the, the times I've been there, you know, you guys are into barbecues and drinking beer and smoking buds and uh, surfing and uh, football and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, fucking. They, 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 they're super football. similar countries. Yeah, we just are lawless. <laughs> yeah, dude. Fucking earth. Holy smokes. Yeah. It really is. And it's um, like that's that's part of like what I love about it here, but it's also you know. It can make life difficult sometimes. I bet, man. Um, yeah, well, it's kind of a good place to start. I mean, you're in Durban. You're from Durban. Um, you know, the joint was like on fire a, a couple of years ago. It was uh, the some of the wildest scenes. Uh, it, it was like full on apocalyptic, like yeah. system failure yeah, Durban, kind of shit. Durban's been uh, fucking belted the last couple of years. Um, riots and floods and COVID and it's sewage. I mean, the our municipality is kind of the worst in South Africa as far as corruption and greed and everything goes. So maintenance hasn't been done in fucking decades. And we're at the point now, it's like a tipping point when everything is just falling apart, you know, that so there's a lot of there's a lot of shit that's going on here. Um but we carry on. We keep going. Yeah. It's interesting too. I mean, before we get into the surfing, but like, uh, I was, yeah, it seemed kind of cosmic that on the back of all that, um, drama and our people, you guys won the rugby world cup recently. And, uh, you know, you had a guy from, uh, the townships of Port Elizabeth captaining the team and mate, it, it yeah. was like properly, you know, for me, it was emotional scenes. Like I, I was choking back tears watching the nation come together um, you know, I, I love South Africa. It, it saddens me that it, it's in the situation that it's in and, um, seeing the way sport can unite people, you know, what was that experience yeah. like? So personally, I don't really follow rugby or that stuff, but, um, as you said, like South Africans are super glued together by sport. It's kind of one, like the one uniting thing that kind of brings everyone together. Um, so whenever there is shit going on, everyone kind of rallies behind our sports teams because it's the one thing that we seem to be able to do relatively well. Um, and yeah, I mean, sport doesn't fix everything, but it's a, thank God, it's a uniting factor in this country. Rather it be that than not, I guess. Yeah. And Durban, like, what was it like growing up there? Um, you know, speaking of... Uh the crime and violence and the problems, the, the lawlessness of, of South Africa, like how did you go? Were you able to avoid that? Or it seems to me like everyone you chat to there has some fucked up story of getting robbed at yeah. gunpoint or knife point. Yeah. So how's this fucking yesterday? Um, my daughter was getting dropped off here by mom and they were coming from town through here and like 9.30 in the morning, broad daylight, Guy smashed in through the window. My daughter was in the back seat. Glass flying everywhere. They stole shit out of the car. She is in like complete fucking hysterics. Um, thank God, nothing violent happened. Um, but yeah, she's traumatized as fuck now, man. And it, it it rattled me as well. But like, so I was talking to my wife yesterday about this, and it's just like living here. It's kind of not. If something's going to happen, it's when, 
and it's a reality that you live with like every day um I, I have a street photography project documenting Durban and I've been doing it since 2020. And the shit I've seen in the city is like, fuck, man, it's, it's hectic. Uh, I got, last year I got jumped by three guys with knives and I've seen people get stabbed and it's no, it's no joke, but I mean, a, a lot of the reasoning is poverty, man. It's like, what do you do? People, people need to eat. People have no money. There's, there's no opportunities for people raise themselves out of anything yet. So what's mm. the quickest way to help yourself is take something, you know, and living here, like I'm, I'm well aware that I'm one of the incredibly privileged fucking people in this country. So it's like, although things like yesterday happen and I get, I, I get super fucking mad and it drives me insane. I understand why it happens and I understand mm. where it comes from. And there's just a, it's unfortunate that our government is so corrupt, man. Our people could be helped pretty easily with, I mean, the, the billions and billions and billions and fucking billions that have been stolen over the last 20 years is like mind boggling. And just a fraction of that could help, you know, everyone. But I guess that's kind of worldwide too. You just see corrupt governments stealing from their people. It feels like we're at a point in time now where is this shift that's happening and mm. i'm grateful for that i guess you kind of need some kind of catastrophic crumbling before things can get rebuilt you know mm. it's mad it is mad that's the thing about poverty when it exists in large amounts in your culture or your society like no one's safe the rich get no peace either you know so uh, it's it's a, it's a zero-sum game uh Sure, you might be wealthy in a in a country that is mired in poverty, but what's the point of being wealthy when you're not safe? And and if you're not safe, you're not free. Yeah. So you you may as well just have less money and, and, and more equality. I mean, seems to me anyway. Obviously, that's uh, yeah. a yeah. problem that is beyond any individual to fix. Um, but man, I, I, I it's so hard. I feel for you, man, because like uh, you know, seeing you the way you. Uh, kind of carry yourself just uh, you know i'm only getting to know you now but through social media and stuff you're a truth seeker and yeah. truth teller and um you know that street photography project what an amazing way to use your platform and you, you're clearly yeah. one of the people really invested uh in uh, bringing about a, a better state of affairs for, for your countrymen and the the overwhelmingly black populations in the townships that surround all of South Africa. So I feel for you, yeah. man. It, it's uh, That's so heavy hearing that happen to your daughter yesterday. So sorry about that. Yeah, thanks. It, it is heavy. Um, obviously, I'm grateful that nothing happened, like really happened besides internal trauma for you. But yeah, I mean, growing up here, I feel like that's kind of what's inevitably pushed me to try and try and change something in any way that I can. You know, I've got some little fucking following online and I just feel like posting random shit is kind of weird when you've got an opportunity to use your voice for something, you know? And like, I guess it's a couple of years back in 2019, I think, just before COVID was when I really got into trying to like make a difference. There was... I don't know if you know about the trans car just down the coast from us. Yeah, it's no. like this. 
World Heritage Site, Marine Protected Area, like fucking the most magic place you've ever been in your entire life, type of vibe. And I've been going there for the last 20 years. And it's when you go there, you realize, you know, every time you go there, it's like, okay, this is what life is meant to be, you know? And Shell tried to come and fucking start doing their deep sea blasting and oil exploration and all that shit. And I, I, a friend sent me a post about it. I, I was like, you know, sometimes you see things and you're just like, like it hits you. And I was like, fuck, I, I've got to try do something. So we made a post, talked about what was happening and it blew up. And long story short, we ended up uh, stopping Shell from coming and blasting in, in that area. Um, so it really opened my eyes to, you know, I think I was super cynical before that and one person can't do anything. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I'm just here. Yeah, what can I do? Until I tried and fuck, man, it's like, if you stand up for what you believe in and you have conviction and passion, you can unite people and you don't have to wait for government or institutions to make change. You can get people to fucking make change, you know? So yeah, I, it's something that I wouldn't feel right not doing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's such a beautiful message, man. And it seems to me that ultimately the change almost always has to come from the grassroots and, and move up. And I mean, in your country, like we, we've seen what surfers can do there. You, know, you had the apartheid boycott with Curran and Tom Carroll and Shane Horan and, and Martin Potter and a, a lot of other sportsmen from that period. And made it, uh, you know, these were sports people are generally, you know, blue collar people, you know, who ground yeah. their way into a, they, they did, they didn't, they weren't born into greatness or money or, or any of that. They had to earn their way there and they take their, their blue collar values with them. And when they see shit that stinks, they speak up and systems crumble yeah. because they have a tremendous influence, um, sports people. And it, it's a beautiful, the beautiful thing about sport, you know, when sport and politics mix, people say they shouldn't. I, I, I completely disagree. I think that's, the best things that have ever happened in our society have almost always come from sportsmen who've used their I, I agree. Uh, fucking a hundred percent. Absolutely. Growing up, I was always so apathetic about it all. And, you know, I didn't want to like, get into fucking politics or any shit like that. And it's like, I just felt like I've kind of been forced to in, in some ways, you know, like, um, I think, I always laugh, old mate Sean Thompson's call is always, you know, keep politics out of surfing. And he was one of the guys back in the day in apartheid that got fucking super bummed with Tom Carroll for boycotting, <laughs> yeah. you know, all that shit. So it's like, oh, I don't know. Mate, history's I'm just, um, at the Yeah, at the moment, I'm uh, not even at the moment. For most of my life, I've been so sick of surfers, man. They just uh, drive me insane. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a strange culture at times. It's, um, you know, it can be so fixated on just the actor surfing and the hierarchy of, of performance. And, and that's what gets respect. And it's kind of backwards thinking really, because at the end of the day, like someone should be, uh, it's more realistic to judge someone on their values than their cutback, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know when it's been a slow kind of shift of when, I don't know, surfing just became so, and I don't want to say this in a mean way to Americans, but it just became like super Americanized. Like 
with the panel and the American football and the this and that and uh, we've just like lost the way you know and I don't think it's only me that's seeing this lately it's, it's, I've been seeing a bunch I saw Makua posted something uh, the other day about it and I know Kobe's been speaking about it for a while um it's there's, like there's nothing raw anymore you kind of you go online you know what you you know what to expect you know what you're going to see there's no competitors that are fucking saying anything anymore. It's like bland, super bland. It's so bland and it strikes such a jarring contrast with where sports at more generally. Like you look at the UFC and, and, and people can say whatever they want. The, the whole, it, it's the biggest sports organization in the world, isn't it? Like everyone watches the UFC yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and the athletes are just spraying, man. They say whatever the fuck they want. Dana White's like, yeah, freedom of speech right on. Like, <laughs> and then yeah, surfing's yeah. just like the complete opposite. Surfing's like stuck in this kind of, I don't know, this early noughties, like, like fake reality, this simulation where like all the, the, the rude boy shit's still going on behind the scenes. But um, yeah, there's just no real exactly evidence of it. The culture's been, been lost and commodified and capitalized and it, it's just boring, man. It, it really is pretty boring. It's, I, I agree wholeheartedly. To me, it's like, I don't really know. Like, I feel like there needs to be a, a complete... Uh, shift in what's happening the WSL and is just like I know like you know guys like DA Derek Hahn and even uh Bushy Mitchell got hold of me over the years and guys that have been wanting to start these rebel tours and whatnot and mm. it seems like there's always this push and guys are so keen and they want to make things happen and it gets to a certain level and then dies back but I really do feel like there needs to be some kind of platform or event or something that is a competition to the WSL. It's like, I feel like that's the only way we're going to kind of make any form of progress back to what it could be. Yeah. Like surfers, bar surfers, four surfers type of thing. Well, interestingly, like that's what the ASP was, right? When you were on it, like rabbit was still the president, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you were, you know, you were a part of the dream tour era where the waves were pumping and, you know, if you were wanting to be a world champ, you had to be versatile across all conditions and, and waves. Like we're now in a situation where the two-time world champ can't get over a combined total of 0.5 at pipeline. Um, and the, the, the product WSL, it, it's run by corporates and it, it, it feels like that, you know, there's, it's very yeah. clear. It, it's lacking direction. Like there's no rabbit at the helm, you know, that guy's the grand shaman of professional surfing. And speaking of like, don't mix sport and politics, rabbit ran for fucking like state parliament. He, he was trying yeah. to run for the, the seat of uh, like, I don't know, cool and or Queensland or whatever the like sorry, not Queensland, but some seat in Queensland. Like the guy is such a don uh, and yeah. such such an incredible – I think someone like him, if not he, Rabbit himself, has to get back involved because the WSL has the mortgage on all the tour stops and this, the whole structure's there. It's just lacking that that head, uh, that experience. I think as head. soon as you start – like it's all based around viewership nowadays, you know, that's – <clears throat> All anyone wants to see is how many people are watching and how, what the numbers are. As soon as you get caught up in numbers, you lose fucking everything about why you're doing it in the first place. Like, like, who cares how many fucking people are watching? Surely the guys who are surfing the events want to be surfing the best waves. I mean, 
right just before the dream tour days and guys would put those events on at g-land and fucking tabaroo or whatever those were like the most memorable core fucking events that have ever been put on and it, i don't really understand why that hasn't been following suit you know it's there it's proven itself it was by surfers for surfers in mean fucking ways and it's still to this day gets talked about so Where's the longevity and getting your numbers and your viewership, really? I don't know. Like, It's kind of counterintuitive to me. Man, it, it's crazy to look back at the waves on tour during that period. Barra de la Cruz, uh, you yeah. know, Hype, Chopes, Cloudy, uh, you know, uh, this Arika Chile, Reunion Island, like those search events. That was such a sick concept that, that Rip Curl come up with yeah. there. Um, Snapper. Like, fuck, it was genius. Uh, it was ahead of its yeah. time. It was so core. And uh, the product, you know, that's when we had like AI and, and Kelly going toe-to-toe, water, like just the surfing, you know, Parker fanning, et cetera, et cetera. The surfing mm. was, it was a golden age of like heavy water surfing, uh, amazing signature rail surfing. Like the styles was so yeah inimitable at that point and I, I think a lot of that was to do the kinds of waves that it was in it really pushed surfers to be super well-rounded amazing like during that period to you know someone like fanning like the guy sucked at pipe and chopes you know like and then he fucking spent so much time in those places to build his ability in those kinds yeah. of waves and ends up winning a world title. Like, and he was forced to do that because of the tour structure. Whereas now you've got Philippe Toledo, a two time world champ who, who like surfs slabs worse than the average plumber on the East coast of Australia. <laughs> it's fucking wild, man. It's heavy. Like he's, he's, it, it, it's, it's a head. Yeah. It's like a disgraceful chapter in surfing. Like I, I'm not throwing shade at the guy. He's a lovely bloke and you know, but he is kind of a, a glitch like he's a a human asterisk man it, it, it's it's not right he, he shouldn't be able to yeah. he should be able to win world titles being that bad in what is a staple of core surfing which is getting barreled in yeah. reef, reef breaks yeah exactly exactly i feel like also like surfing's almost like progression side of things have gone fucking downhill too there, there was an era of like through the mid 2000s to like mid 2010s when i feel like shit really fucking like took off for a bit the the air side of things there were, for instance how many fucking tricks can kersey do in his bag of fucking airs and stuff right the grab different grabs different spins different tweaks i don't know what fucking happened to that now it, it's just spin 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 and that i I don't want to sound like a dick, but I feel like it also came from like the Brazilian storm era, you know, where those guys had that fucking uh, move on lock and could do it every time. <laughs> do you remember when uh, Flint's Flint's up? Oh yeah, Flint's up. The original Jadson Andre. Do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Him and Jadson, yeah. Mate, if yeah. if the world to me, tour, that's what's happened now. Yeah, if the world no, tour no, just as well, he charges fucking hard. But... Oh, dude! If the world tour was held in left rip bowls and he- like right slabs, he'd be world champ. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know. It's weird that rail surfing is dying. Besides a couple guys and tech airs have died. I mean, where's the other chippers coming up and fucking 
weird. Like the shit that guys were like, I was super heavily, super, super influenced by those last videos back in the day, the what's really going wrong, what's really going on, five, five. And honestly, how long, that's over 20 years ago now. And the shit they were doing back then, I mean, there's still 90% of guys can't do a, a burial, you know? And that's like 20 years ago. It's weird. I don't know what's happened, but I think we need more skaters in surfing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, so coming up at Durban, mate, obviously the waves pump there. There's so much history in that part of the world. Give us a bit of an insight into your hometown. Like you've got that slab out the front that looks so mental. Uh, I actually can't believe how good that wave looks. And and that yeah. was like you could hit a hit a five wood from your joint and and land it basically on the rocks there. I mean, yeah. How how epic was that? Yeah, I, damn. Yeah, I got super lucky. Um, I've lived here. I live in a place called the Bluff, and it's like. 20 minutes from the city. Um, but we kind of like, I guess, the Maroubra of Durban, where it's like this wave has been like rough and tough and come from the bluff, smoke the green stuff. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, we've always had that like kind of uh, rep here. And growing up, it was like, it was, it was pretty hectic. Uh, like just guys getting slapped in the water constantly. Um, just like no town clowns allowed fucking like it was hard like hardcore you know and the rep still stands today but i mean the other sh the shit's kind of died down um but yeah we've got like even though it's 20 minutes it's like right in the center of everything we live kind of in a little industrial zone you have to get through to get to us so it keeps a lot of people away as well but it is i mean like fuck if the cave rock is like a just slabbing heaving backdoor type of wave and whenever like water or hawaiian dude andy and them would come out for the event here they'd always come and try to get to the rock and just be like dude this place is fucking just like backdoor and I i'd get so frothed out and just be so keen you know and when i get, did get to hawaii they were they were they were right <laughs> it was fucking like exactly the same so yeah i had a i had a really good uh grounding in not gigantic surf, but, you know, heaving eight-foot kind of barrels over reef. So that was really cool. And, like, when the rock isn't firing and it's just, like, onshore summer days, like now, the air sections are insane. And I guess, yeah, mad air wind, crazy barrels and no crowds is, like, couldn't ask for more. Man, it's a shame. It's like uh, you kind of came too soon, like, that's the formula for a really high profile free surfing career now. It's just slabs and big punts. And, uh, I mean, I, I guess during your tenure, it was, you know, if you want to be a free surfer, it was more kind of like Margo current style surfing, I guess, just, you know, pure rail and, uh, yeah. barrels and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, a bit ahead of your time in ways, I guess. I came up in a weird, yeah, it was a weird, like, transition kind of period and fuck man from like when i was like 15 all i wanted uh, bruce signs was like my absolute idol and all i all i wanted to do was just make video parts and be a free surfer but in south africa that was obviously not an option we had frankie who was doing it but 
Frank got picked up by DH like that 10, 15 years before me. And his career had already kind of started winding down in that free surfing world. So I had to be a competitive fucking guy to get anywhere in surfing. And I was pretty good at it, but it like, God, after my whole junior career, QS, and then getting to the CT, I was like so disillusioned. The first year on tour, I was like, this is this is the pinnacle, you know, fuck. And in, like almost immediately from the first event, I was like, well, <laughs> I'm not so into this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I remember being in Hawaii at the end of one year and Brady was, Dean Brady was on, on the Ripkill team and he was their free surfer. And I remember sitting with him the one evening and just being like, man, fuck, how, do, like, how can I do it? I wish there was a way I could just do what you do. Fucking scene is insane. Um, and eventually uh, after tour fucked out for a bit and I did find myself into free surfing made, I made, made very little fucking money but hey I, like, I got to do what I always wanted to do thank god um, but yeah it was, it was a really weird stage of having to do something that your heart's so not in and it, my mental stayed up completely and although there were many many years of like fucked up mental states it's pushed me to where I am now and I've learned like more than I could ever ever imagine learning not going through that you know mm. yeah so talk us through your trajectory through the pro surfing ranks you mentioned uh going to Australia for the world juniors at, at 13 man fire that, that's so young to be traveling abroad uh what what were the circumstances there? Did you have uh, a chaperone? Like, uh, you know, what were you being exposed to at that age? Like, I understand during your era, it was, that was still the wild old days of professional surfing. Like, I was covering the tour <laughs> right around then, and it was fucking loose, dude. It was loose. It was so loose. I was talking about this the other day, actually. Um, yeah, I started... I st that trip, I think I went with my sister. She was a really good surfer as well. Um, so we were both on the South African team and there was a whole team and we went there together. So it was kind of like babysat a little bit. Um, but I think I was like 15 when I started traveling solo uh, internationally. And I was, yeah, I was 15. I won I won this like junior comp at D-Bar, one of the Billabong juniors. And God, man, like over the next five years from 15 to... 15 to 20, like in hindsight, sending out a kid into the world at that time was like fucking hectic, man. Like I, I grew up really quickly and I was also growing up, I was like one of those kids, I'm like a, a super sensitive, shy fucking dude, you know? So social interactions were really hard for me. And as soon as I found booze, it was like, woohoo! face the world <laughs> but like i was like a literal fucking kid tiny kid in an adult world doing adult things and yeah it it was eye-opening it was super eye-opening um 
there was inevitable what kind of happened, you know, for me at least, as as, as someone who has that uh, addictive kind of undertone, you know. Mm -hmm. I also, the, for me growing up, my heroes were guys like Wado and Andy and Bruce and Corey and took me a while to kind of understand that it was actually Dino, Dino uh, Dingo that told me once, he was like, bro, look up to them for their surfing and and that kind of shit. But the, like, why why do you care about their lifestyle? You shouldn't be looking up to that. Like, and that kind of, that was like, I was deep in addiction at that point. And I was like, oh, fuck, whatever. Um, but yeah, I was super, super influenced by, by people who, who were just straying from the norm, I guess. Man, all those names you're mentioning and, uh, you know, Dingo is an interesting one because obviously he had major issues with addiction himself. I think when you're talking about just being exposed to so much at a young age, I think of Nathan Hedge. Uh, you know, he talks a lot about being on these search missions to remote Indo as a, you know, similar, I think like 13, 14 years old with, with Curran and Davo. Yeah. And um, just like, oh man, like exposed to serious degeneracy and, yeah. and debauchery yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it just gets normalized and then um you're coming up through the ranks you're on the ct he talks about you know going to each every time you go to an event it's that town's time to shine exactly. party and they just put on a spread exactly. for you mate what hope Everything do you have free yeah yeah i mean i went through i think my like i used to go out all night before every heat you know it was like my thing i get to the beach drunk and pedal out and make it through and then the guys in my heat would be so fucked off because they're like got down there early and sketching and amped and i'd come in and take them out and yeah anyway it was a it was a weird time man <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah and, and that was that was folklore like that was really respected and admired in the culture at that point you know like those stories of you know Davo rocking up at 13th beach or whatever just on a bender and waxing slater with no leggy and like you know just crazy like and that was like almost a pinnacle of the culture like like fuck that queen yeah, yeah, in yeah. winning four or five world titles in a row it's more impressive that yeah that davo got him in a heat off his head um yeah, rest in peace rest in peace nice yeah i bet but like wow. uh, you know mate whether it's Davo, whether it's AI, like, you know, and then you, you Dingo and, and Hedges guys who really were, were driven to the absolute depths of despair, like brutal. Like You, you know, it's funny you. also though, you mentioned a couple names of guys that used to go hard and whatever, but dude, when I was on tour, I could probably count maybe four guys that weren't fucking racking it up that night, and heavy drinkers and shit. Like that was the absolute norm. Like, that was the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it intense. That is so intense. Yeah. So how does, yeah, so talk to us about, yeah, so how many years on tour was it in the end? On the uh, CT? On the, on the CT, I only did two years. Um, I was, I came like third on the QS in 2006. 2007, I had an average year. I came like, I don't know, like 20th or something on the CT. And then 2008 was when I won my record. 
of losing every heat uh, I served. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, it was. I was done after that. Fuck. I mean, even going into that year, I was like, my first heat of that year was against Reynolds at Snapper, and I partied the night before, and woke up in the morning and the event was on. I was like, tried to sleep for a while and surf my heat and lost and like. I was just, I just was I was just going through the motions, you know. Um I just was so I, was, I didn't want to be there. So I was just fucking like paddling out and whatever, just whatever. I just drank that year. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So was that year the culmination of just years of debauchery and and, and just drinking and like that lifestyle kind of all came to a head in that year? Or like what drove you to overindulge that much was it the culture was it yourself was it just competitive surfing sucking the joy out of something that you, you loved so much yeah like a combination of things I, I mean i was still young then man i was like 23 when i was so my second year there that's crazy so like I, when i was like 20 years old i won the the gunston 500 thing yeah and i look back on it and like Fuck, I look at a 20-year-old now, I'm like, holy shit, man, that's like a proper kid. And the same thing, like, I ended up getting, like, alcohol poisoning that that night, you know, for the next, like, four days, I was in bed, just dead. And, like, I'd been drinking heavily. Like, if I drank, I drank, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, so from, like, I'd say... I had my first drink when I was 14. By 16, I was like blackout kind of drinking. So from then until 23, that's only like a couple, like five years or whatever, you know. It was a pinnacle of my like loss of uh, passion for surfing, I'd say, more than the heart of my addictive kind of vibes. Um. And also just trying to, like, I didn't have a fucking clue about any kind of mental illness vibes or depression or shit like that back then. So I was this young, sensitive alcoholic, basically, that was trying to figure my way out through a world that I didn't want to be in. And uh, you can imagine, it was just, like, complete. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know how to deal with the world. You know? Um. So I'd say that, like, at the end of that year, I lost my final heat in Hawaii, whatever. And there was a, a major, like, weight that got lifted off when I could fucking leave that tour behind. Um, but then, like, you know, then again, the next couple of years after that is when I st started pre-surfing. But then there was not even, like, a contest to semi-keep me under wraps, you know, there was, there was nothing. I could just go out every night, I could do whatever I want. <laughs> and as long as back in that day, there wasn't really social media. So it was, I'd, I'd make sure I've got shots in the mag every month and I was doing trips all the time, but like partying was the number one, you know, it wasn't having to get myself ready for events. It was get myself ready to go out <laughs> type of thing. It's crazy. It wasn't that long ago. And you just think about how poor mental health literacy was. Like we just had no concept of what it yeah. took to, to make 
good mental health. <laughs> like it's, you know, you're traveling the world, you're partying, you, you, you're eating weird foods, you're waking up at weird times. Like any one of those things on their own is enough to like throw you out of whack and, and kind of give you a little taste of depression. Um, doing it nonstop yeah. for nine months of the year. Like it's almost inevitably going to create yeah. some serious mental disturbances layer on top of that alcohol and drugs and like you find yeah yeah i mean now like for for alcoholics when you whatever age you start drinking heavily at for me say it was 17 you you mentally are, are stuck at that age so i mean i was i ended up being like a 30 year old in rehab that had like a 17 year old's kind of ability to deal with things, you know, and it was, God, I'm what, I'm 38 now. So the last eight years, I've just like been learning how to deal with the world and myself and how to just get up and, 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 you know, be a human in this fucking existence, uh, which has been radical. And yeah, it's, supremely eye-opening just knowing that you don't have to fucking accomplish a single thing to be successful in life all you have to do is wake up and fucking be here and be alive that's it you're living the human experience and yeah i mean so for so many people you get caught up in having to achieve i think as soon as you have a goal what happens when you get achieve that goal what what next you know like there's there's in a cycle success breeds the need for more success mm. more and more mm. and more and are you ever going to be actually just fucking still you know just yeah mm. so yeah that's that's kind of what i've been learning <laughs> that's profound man that that is really profound i mean all this sense of achievement this sense of success that we have in the west it's kind of a mirage of capitalism isn't it because at the end of the day like success really you know what success is what makes you feel good and what makes you feel good is generally connection to other people to nature yeah uh and you know you don't get a trophy there's no world tour for connecting to nature or people yeah. there's no like you can't make a living off that you can't sell things off the back of that the, those things are free and and, and yeah you, you get them you know by being still and just waking up and experiencing life every day and those simple joys. I mean, you would see them in the townships a, a lot where they have nothing. I'm sure there's such great lessons to be learned from those people who have nothing and they get so much joy from singing and connecting and community. And um, these are things in, in, in the capitalist West where, you know, we're constantly competing against each other, climbing over each other for, for more to accrue more capital. And uh, mm. it, it kind of. There's capital over community, really, I guess. Completely. That's the main thing yeah and that's been a yeah i guess like like i said earlier about the trans guy when you when you go when you go rural you know or you go country or however you want to put it you within hours of being in a place like that you it, all the shit falls away and you're like okay here it is here's my connection right yeah and i wasn't like you know also learning i'm i'm, I'm here, like really into meditation and shit like that. And I'd say that was, that's been like the number one thing that's helped me through everything, but just also learning to accept that 
Life's fucking hard sometimes, you know? Life isn't just an upward trajectory. you just constantly doing this. And so if you can be okay when you're down here and when you're up here, you can realize, hey, this isn't going to last. I'm, it's going to be another cycle. Fuck, it becomes a lot easier to deal with shit and not get so caught up in the day-to-day -day bullshit. Just, you just flow. Just go with it. Just say, okay, what next? <laughs> Man, I love that. It's so true. And meditation, yeah, it's been massive for me too. You know, I, I meditate every day, like 40 minutes to an hour. And it, it's it's a, a refuge, a, a place where um, it's always there for you, you know. And no matter how bad things get, there's this place that you can, uh, I think of it kind of like a, a safe place, a, a place to retreat mm. to and, and recalibrate and, and recharge and yeah, it is amazing. And isn't it cool that it's not something that you do for any type of gain or any type of betterment or anything. You just do it because it's 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 good. You know, you feel good. <laughs> There's no like ulterior anything. You just sit in silence and everything else falls away. And that connection where it comes up again, you to me, I feel like I feel I can feel like the whole fucking world and universe sometimes when I'm that quiet. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm here. <laughs> What an amazing feeling that is. It's so beautiful. It's funny, man, looking at you here, you know, like people who will be listening to this, most people will be listening to this. They won't be able to see what you look like. You got a barbed wire tattooed across your forehead. You got neck tarts. You, you know, you're a, a classical freak. In, in, and I mean that in the the best and most glowing way possible because freaks are the only people I fucking trust in a world as backwards as the one we live in. Yeah, yeah. I, I trust people who look like you way more than some guy in a suit driving an Audi. Um, yeah. And yeah, <laughs> capitalism, like it seems to me at this point, like a big part of it is like all the stories that we tell ourselves, we tell ourselves all these stories, like capitalism fits so perfectly with, with the, the ego, uh, and all these stories we tell ourselves about being successful and strong and powerful and achieving and, and this and that. And then you go to somewhere like the trance guy and it all melts away bit by bit and <clears throat> you're, you're left with nature and, and stillness and these things and, and the stories kind of just melt into nothing and, and it's it's hard to let go of them sometimes because you know you've spent your life there's so much heavy conditioning and it's like oh what like so just by sitting here around a fire cooking some beans with my mates like that's as good as it's ever gonna get like it's yeah yeah, yeah yeah but it is that is as good as it's ever yeah. gonna get yeah, I don't think you can get anything better than that. Um, it's a. I said earlier that we're in some kind of a uh, fucking shift, you know, a universal shift. And I really do think that um, you just look at all the different systems around, like worldwide now, that seem to be crumbling. And at the same time, like, me and you wouldn't be having this type of conversation 10 years ago. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like there's this destruction of certain things. And at the same time, a beautiful fucking uprising of another part of existence and everything in life is balanced and you can't have one thing without the other. But I do feel like in a general sense, people seem to be waking up and I, I don't want to sound like a fucking conspiracy theorist or some shit, you know, but people are waking up to what is being told to us and what's happening in the world. And 
there's only a certain level of greed that you can witness and see before you got to just start asking some kind of question, you know? Totally, man. And a big part of that awakening is the, you know, the kind of mainstreamification of these methods like meditation, like breath work and the way it's permeated the likes of, you know, you guys got guys like Joe Rogan, for example, uh, you know, guys like even like Kobe, like, uh, you know, I was over there in Bali with him. We're doing so much breath work together and, you know, people like yourself, Tom Carroll, um, guys who lived the absolute excesses of their capitalist experience only to be brought to their fucking knees with misery and suffering. Um, mm. and, 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 and to all of your credit, like you're out there using your platform saying, Hey, this is not the way, like I've been to the top of this mountain and it's, it's fucking miserable up there. Like the, the way is over here. The way is through stillness and nature and connection and truth. Um, and, mm. you know, rejecting greed and, and material acquisition, uh, you know, have some love and, and compassion and empathy for you, you common man. Like these are all these messages are, are coming from the top. There's heavy hitters mm. in the culture talking about this stuff. And uh, I guess podcast is a huge part of that because it's enabled us to disseminate these messages. Whereas, you know, the media obviously is completely locked off and they're only interested in feeding us uh, material shit and advertisements and drugs and and poisons and and fucking shiny crap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something, man. I was going to say, God, Nick. Oh, it's a bit like that. Um, when I go on rants, there's like a million little hooks that you could sink your teeth into. Oh, I was going to, I remember what I was going to say. Fucking, it's, it's something, I can't remember who said it. Might even been like Jim Carrey or someone, but I, like, I truly believe this and I wish that every person would achieve like the highest fucking world and get all that money, get everything. Because I like I at one point I had my credit card I could fucking swap whenever I wanted and I had I was traveling to the most insane places in the world and just living this absolute dream and it almost killed me you know what I'm saying that 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 kind of material success whatever it is is just a weird little blanket that we put over ourselves you know there's it doesn't actually give you anything of value ever in fact all it will do is create more anxiety and more fucking problems and drama in your head if you i guess maybe there has been a little shift in saying this as well guys like griff and um mm. that whole like san clemente crew are heavily mm. into the, the new way of like doing things they might not be um the waters and the quarries of the past but it's kind of refreshing just to see like something a, a bit different, you know. And they they like stick to the guns and they're not ashamed about it. And totally, I see them blowing more than anyone else. So I'm I'm stoked that's happening. Jack Robinson's another one, and mindfulness is so big on the exactly, world tour. Yeah, yeah. Molly Picklum, you, you see a lot of surfers meditating before their heats, and you know, mm. you know, meditation suffers from this stigma that you're going to end up, you know dressing in linen with juju beads and shit. It's it's completely not true. Like you're a classic example of that you, you're more yourself now than probably at any other point in your life. And I feel exactly the same. I'm 
completely unapologetic and, and unafraid to um, be who I am. Whereas in many iterations of myself, I suffered from imposter syndrome and many of these things where yeah. I, you know, didn't feel worthy or whatever. And I would, ha- I would have to try and act and, and behave in a way that would, uh, you know, appease my idea of what they thought, what the person thought they wanted, like, you know, like just fucked up in the head. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And like all that shit's melted away since taking up meditation and, 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 and breath work and these things. But then chatting to Griffin is interesting. He goes, yeah, you know, like, but I can turn it on. I can, there's a bit of water in me too. Like I, I know how to be water for a night. Like, and, and that's cool too. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. You, you can, you can do it all like, but they see me understand the balance, I guess. Yeah, exactly. There's balance there. Exactly. One thing I wanted to uh, bring up as well, when you're talking about just all that shit in your head and, the biggest, the one thing that like literally was like a light bulb that went off in my, uh, my head. It was just, I was reading a book and it was just, it said, uh, just watch, watch the thinker. And it created this disconnect for me. I was like, wait, I'm not my mom. I can, I can watch, I'm aware of my mom. And I fucking like light bulb. I was like, holy shit. I'm not these thoughts. That that isn't me. This is like this separate thing that's just like monkey mind. And it literally like was game changer for me. And so since then, it's just been like a slow process of just trying to break down that ego, you know, and really understand who and what I am in this weird ass world. That is so crazy, man. Witnessing your thoughts. Once when you realize that you're not your thoughts, like that is a, a that is high consciousness. That is heightened consciousness because your thoughts will tell you to do all kinds of silly shit. And the more you're able to just observe your thoughts, then you're able to connect the patterns of thinking to the way you're feeling. You know, like you start to realize that when you're tired or you're stressed, like you have the you start thinking a certain way. And man, that that's so powerful. Talk to us about, um, you know, reconnecting with surfing, like, uh, and you know, when did that happen for you? Like, when did you, when were you able to kind of rid yourself of the, the constraints of the, the that professional surfing, that competitive surfing life, um, put on you, and, and find the love and joy again? Yeah, I'd say, um. There was obviously the, the period after tour where I was still young enough to be doing the mad shit I was doing and surf at the same time. But after like years of doing that, your, I mean, basic serotonin levels and shit just deplete, you know, and that doesn't make you want to wake up and go surf in the morning. And it ends up becoming a little bit of a cycle where you go out, you're sick for a few days. You go out again. You go out for a few nights, and you're sick for a few days. So, like, there's never really time to surf when you're in that kind of a cycle. Um, so, like, my my journey's been a bit of a like up and down one as well. I've, I was I made a post the other day. Like, June of this year will be ten years since I first stopped drinking, and I've had two short relapses in in that period yeah two two rehab sessions 
Um, but yeah, for, uh, like as soon as I stopped drinking, there was obviously an insane amount of like shit to deal with. But that immediate refuge was the ocean again. Like I would just be like completely losing my fucking mind but i knew that i could just go down to the water and jump in the water and for a bit i would be like okay i'm home I'm fine all's good so that yes yeah, i became sober and i just like just by the end of that you become fitter you become more alive and engaged and that just re like i realized fuck, okay surfing hasn't gone anywhere i'd gone somewhere it's always going to be here for me and it, it makes me feel really good. So that was like, yeah, it, it was just a weird journey, man. Life is this weird journey that you just pick up little bits along the way and try to make it through as best you can. And so like, yeah, how important was surfing then um, in your recovery from uh, alcohol addiction yeah uh, massive uh, like to this day if i don't surf for a couple of days i'm ratty ratty dude you know um i, I think i tell anyone whether they surf or not just to spend some bit of time if possible in the ocean if you can't do the ocean do nature but the ocean especially to me is like you are fucking engulfed by nature you're you're in it you know what i mean it's powerful like on top of that with all the, the water and foamies and shit circulating there's like an excess of oxygen around so your body's happy with you nature's stoked you involved with her it's like even if you've never heard the word spirituality in your life that kind of is it you know there's the ocean it's going to teach you some things um and surfing itself uh like humbles humbles you like constantly think like when i paddle out at, at the rock here and it's big and i'll get too comfortable what it knocks me down so surfing is almost like a metaphor for life in a way you know you learn how to deal with those knocks and those falls and shit and you get back up and you carry on and yeah and i understand uh on the backside of the addiction, like you and your mates just kind of hit the road and, and, and started chasing waves all over Africa. Can you take us inside, you know, one of your favorite trips or yeah, just give us an idea of what that looks like for, for people yeah. who. I'd say, oh man. Yeah. Africa, Africa is, is, is wild. It's like the trips I, I did, uh, Senegal, Ghana, Nigeria, Namibia, Mozambique. I'd say I'd say uh, my first my trip to Nigeria was like fuck it. it was hectic. It was scary. Like we arrived there and we had a connection who who his father worked at the airport. So he had like a big hammer and security and shit. So we like picked up at the airport taken to the safe house of his and all cool made our way the next morning to the beach. So you have to kind of go through the harbor and get a little boat that takes you through the harbor to the beach around the, around the corner where there's like a sick wedge. 
Um, and if you don't know, like Nigerians are aggressive and loud just as a as a baseline. That, that's how they interact with each other. And like it's a lot of shouting and it's intimidating. So getting through the boat, just to the boats was like, oh, we am, oh what the fuck? <laughs> and then we got to the beach and we were checking out the waves for a while, waiting for the tide to change. And like 10 meters behind us, there was a woman who was having her daily prayer. And there's two uh, separate factions of religion in Nigeria. So this lady was doing her one prayer and she, I don't know, she interrupted someone else. And this fucking guy just came up with like an AK, walked up to her head and was pointing this at her head, like directly behind us. And I'm like, oh, oh shit, like day one, you know what I mean? And wow. luckily the guy with us was a bit of a fixer and he ran up and he was like, yo, 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 like bomb the situation down. Um, but that was like just one of the few things. I remember when we were leaving Nigeria, we had to take our boards to oversize and it was down like three flights of stairs in the in the airport and there was they were like follow this guy this like beefy like armed security guy i was like okay seems all right and like they're like kind of pushing you know and like moving you through and i got down to the bottom of the of the stairs like into this fucking weird little room and there was like a big ass pool of blood with a drag mark into the room with the door closed and the guy was like pushing me down. And this guy was coming with a mop to come and clean this. Like, I was like, fuck, I, I was like shitting myself. Because <laughs> things go things go wrong in Africa all the time. Like, all the time. But luckily, they didn't even like register that there was all this blood all over. They just told me to put my bag down and I like made myself, made, made my way out of there real quick. Um, but yeah, shit like like Nigeria is probably the worst, but all over Africa is there's just like mad shit that goes on, ah. and that's part of the draw card. What like what um, made it so enjoyable? Just trekking through the jungle in Ghana, trying to find waves and come around a corner, and you 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 don't know what's there. You know, there's in Africa. It's like as long as you have a little bit of cash on you, you can usually make your way through things. <laughs> Wow, man! That's I'll leave it. As, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, that's insane. I, I, yeah, Nigeria, man, home of Boko Haram, the probably the most ruthless and active terrorist organization in the world. I don't know, second to ISIS, maybe, yeah. but fuck, those guys are loose. Loose, super loose. Man, I saw. Uh, you know, one of the the, the things you're active on. Um, you know, you've been having your say on the, the the Israel and Palestine conflict, which is interesting because South Africa has been a major player on the international stage in that space. They took Israel to the International Court of Justice, as you'd know, and charged them um, or, yeah, tried to charge Israel with, with genocide. Yeah, we were glued to our screens on that one. I mean, if, I don't know how there's anyone who's grown up in South Africa and can't see what's going on. It, it's it's so mind-blowing to me. Um, I, I, grew up, I was born in apartheid still, you know, I was born in 85 and it was another nine years or so before that shit left. So I, I'm a product. I've benefited from that shit. I'm a 
privileged white fucking male living in this country. And if there's anyone who should understand what's happening, it, it has to be me, you know, and people like me. Like, just as a, on, on like the level of humanity as well, trying to picture what in essence is an open air prison, a walled off prison where people are not allowed to freely move. You can't leave. You can't fucking get out of there for that place to just be. I mean, there was a, how many tons of bomb of explosives being dropped? It's like some crazy 60,000 megatons of whatever. The place is fucking destroyed and it's, they have no way of getting back. What's happening? You know, they rats in a cage that are fucking being decimated. And yesterday, also, what happened with my daughter just made me that that was five seconds of a day that uh, not, nothing actually violent happened to my daughter. And yet she's traumatized as fuck now, right? Imagine 125 days of, of living in an inescapable war zone. And just seeing how many kids have been murdered now, dude. It's like five or ten thousand. Just and that's not even the legs that have and arms that have been blown off. It's trying just trying to put yourself with, like in that situation. You know what I'm saying? I've I, personally I've never witnessed anything like it in my existence. Um I remember when it first started, the first few days, my wife's like a a heavy activist and she was I was seeing these things through her phone and in the beginning I, I was like oh, fuck, man, I, I don't want to see it I don't, I, I don't want to see it and she kind of explained to me how you know you bear witness to these things that happen because that's what you can do you, you you can be able to bear witness to these events that are happening and and try and tell the story for people who aren't able to tell the story mm. so like, oh, I, I'm like fucking changed now. Hey, it's like the shit I've seen over the last three or what, how many months it's been. You think Hollywood does a good job of, of like showing graphic violence in movies, and it's really it's really different in real life, man. It's like, ah, uh, who would ever thought that you'd see babies like day old babies, whatever, blown up schools hospitals, everything just blown up. I guess long story short is I, I can't help but you, whether you disagree with me, whether you agree with me, whatever, I, I feel a certain way about what's happening and I'm going to try my best to raise awareness about for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously yeah, this brought you into some conflict with Sean Thompson and it was interesting because what he said is a very common refrain from people who sit on the other side of this debate. I, I was listening to Sam Harris. You know Sam Harris? Uh, he's like a, a big-time podcaster, neuroscientist, kind of on a similar level to Joe Rogan, I guess. And uh, he had a, a very similar kind of spray as Thompson saying that, you know, people who uh, support Palestine uh, or who reject Israel's actions – uh, supporting Hamas, like it's this ridiculous leap of logic where people who want peace and and who are reacting to the like 
unending stream of slaughter and murder coming through our phone screens are somehow in favor of this terrorist group. It's like, no, no, we, we're sick of seeing fucking children and babies dying and and being slaughtered. Mm. It, it's really nothing more Unfortunately, than Unfortunately, anything that you say is regarded as anti-Semitic. Exactly. That's just the straight up. I mean, look at the RCJ ruling. Now, every, every, everyone is Hamas, apparently. South Africa is an agent for Hamas. The RCJ is Hamas. Anyone, doesn't matter, the UN is Hamas. You know what I'm saying? If you are in any way against what is happening, you're a terrorist. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's super weird. You know, unfortunately, if you actually look back, fucking Hitler is the guy who started, like, is the reason for all of this. You know what I mean? He did that to the Jews. Now you're in a place where, and I have absolutely nothing against Jewish people. I fucking love everybody. I do not like Zionism. That's fucked up. But we're at a point in history now where 6 million people were decimated and it forced a, a, a thing where the, there's almost immunity for Israelis to do whatever, you know? And with the backing of countries like Germany and the USA, oh, it's madness. But I think in saying all of this, you know, it's another, it's another thing that's happened where it's so clear to see just by how mainstream media and like the BBCs and CNNs and all of that, there's such fucking censorship over everything. It's, it's weird, man. So yeah, everyone, like to me, the global South is completely like joined forces now. You know, we, I don't know, there's this West, East, South dynamic that's happening and it's super complicated, but I don't know. It's interesting, So people's humanity is kind of the thing that's at stake here to me. It's bizarre. Yeah, the coming together of the global south and, and all these countries, uh, you know, South Africa backing Palestine, for example, like there is precedent for this. Like you go back to, I think it was uh, kind of the mid 60s and um, uh, or the early 60s, and you had. Uh, the leader of Indonesia, Sukarno, who was this kind of, uh, he was had a, a Balinese mother and a, a Javanese father, and he was a socialist, and he began organizing this pan-Asian, pan-African unity uh, where they'd had these big conventions where all the leaders of all these countries would fly in and, and, and they would discuss ways to th th throw off the shackles of colonialism uh, and bit by bit, pretty much every one of these leaders was deposed or shot dead by the CIA or um, some equivalent, you know, European or American mm. force. And I well, guess- Isn't it also funny that all the countries that are opposing um, ceasefire and all that kind of shit are the colonial countries. You know what I mean? It's like, it's- if you can't fucking see that, then I, I'm sorry. I don't. It's it's mad. We live in a simulation, man. We live in an information simulation, not uh, where we're completely being fed and manipulated and conditioned in 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 infinite ways. And a, a lot of people take the bait. And there's these ready-made tropes that you can just wheel out to people like yourself or people like myself or anyone who uh, rejects seeing 
the slaughter that's taking place in Gaza. So, mate, full credit to you for for being unafraid to to take that stance and wear the consequences, which were pretty severe. Like I can imagine, you know, copping a spray from Sean Thompson, who I understand like you worked for and you resigned over that. And mate, uh, have you taken on? any more fire because of him. Like he's a, a guy of significant standing in South Africa and um, the surfing community in particular, like what's been yeah. the fallout, um, what's been the process since you guys parted ways and had I that. Don't know. I, I don't think I've had any, any more. Like, it's just another thing that happened for me. You know, I'm, I'm kind of used to being in, in hot water to just due to my past, but um, you know, it's been funny because I've always been like, always been anti-establishment and all that shit kind of growing up. You know what I mean? And I feel like nowadays I'm still anti-establishment, but it's somehow for the good, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it was, if anything, through it all, I've just, in my view, gained a whole different uh, following and respect from a community, you know? Um, I don't, yeah, it, it was a, a super easy choice to have made. Like, I was, I'd been brought on as creative director for the brand and whatnot, and I actually wasn't even getting paid. I was trying to just help him out and grow the brand. Um, and you know, there was, he had started on his own personal page putting up pro Israel posts and support for the war and whatnot. And I would see them, I saw like two of them, and then fuck it. it, it I was just at home, like, okay, I've got to, this is my only form of income for the future that might be growing. Uh, what do I do? Like, I can't fucking speak up against this guy. And, you know, some some friends of mine got hold of me, some of my artist mates here, and they were like, hey, like, I'm throwing that shit in the bin. Um, what's the deal? You know, like, what's happening? And that was kind of the turning point. I was just like, I can't, like, I'm, I'm not being true to myself if I'm here. It's fucking going after money when it's pure, like, so against my values. Um, so, yeah, it was... Well, it is what it is, really. And what it is is a courageous stand, man. Uh, more people need to do that. Like there's, you know, in a micro way, it, it is exactly what Tom Carroll and Shane Horan and Tom Curran did. You know, they they made an immense sacrifice to their careers, uh, to their financial situation by rejecting apartheid at, in South Africa. And now as a South African, you're rejecting apartheid in, in Palestine. Um, and it's co costing you opportunities. Um, but you know, as Robert, well, think about it like this, right? It's it's costing me in all essence bullshit. What what is it costing me? Fuck all. I'm here. I'm I'm healthy. I'm happy. Those guys over there are getting blown to fucking pieces. So it's costing. It actually cost me nothing. If you think about yeah. it like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's cost your relationship and, you know, like it, it's sure. a, a bit of drama and stress and, and, and whatnot, but like it's a small price yeah. to pay compared to what they're paying over there. Mate, talk to us about your art. It's amazing. You've, you're like reaching full bloom as a human being. Your, your art is bursting with color. Like, uh, it, it's, 
yeah, it just seems like you're in a, a beautiful place in life right now. Sober, full of life, full of color, full of energy, full yeah. of tr- truth. And um, yeah, you, you design and, and, and art practice is very much a reflection, I guess, of where you're at. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I, I said this the other day to someone, I don't know who it was, but I think after like a lot of my life being, having a veil of like darkness over me and just depression and all that shit, it's, you, you end up living in a very dark world. And although to this day, I still am like incredibly drawn to the dark shit in life, like musically and artistically and that kind of stuff i feel like since leaving that in the past and finding this new way it's just automatically brought about more color and passion and i think like for a lot of people with addictive uh, personalities and shit you when you don't have your outlet you sometimes become addicted to new shit but if you can get addicted to shit that is beneficial, then like to me, that's the the best thing that can happen. So it's like nowadays, everything I do is kind of whether I'm tattooing or taking photos or painting, all of those processes are extremely meditative to me. So I go into town to shoot. And I'm out there and it's like I'm surfing in a way. I'm, I'm completely engrossed in everything that's around me because I'm just focused on observing, you know. And then something pops up. I'm like, oh, safe. And then sometimes I'll see someone who's interesting looking and it'll be like a little hunt. And I've got to like run after them and position myself. And it's like, like you see a set wave rolling, you know. So all these things now are just like ways that I can calm the head magic man magic well uh looks like the internet's starting to glitch out anyway so it's probably as good a place as anywhere to leave it uh mate it's been an absolute pleasure eh? yeah i'm really impressed and thank you uh maybe not impressed is the word but just stoked to see someone like yourself uh embrace who they are and 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 come out the other side of what you went through and have have such a yeah, like a, a positive thing to say, but being yourself, you know, you, you're you're a fucking character, man. Like you, that, and and people hear that and look up to that. You know, in our culture, they they don't look up to the the, the clean skin kind of nerds a lot of the time. You did and I yeah. didn't. Um, so it, it help it helps when there's guys like yourself, um, you know, representing the values that you're representing. Thank you. That means a lot. Thanks. Um. Yeah, uh, fuck. I think if originality and self-love are things that everyone can try and aspire to, you, there's only one of you, you know? Why, why not be that person? Who gives a fuck if you look or sound like something else? No one. Be you. It's fun. <laughs> Magic. What a message, bro. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, if anyone is... If anyone out there wants to sponsor me, I'm here, open, ready. Yeah, I was going to say, how do, how do people connect with you and, and how do they, you know, purchase or, or connect with your art? Any, anything uh, like just that? Just hit, hit me up on Instagram, uh, 
my photography and tattoo projects are on my profile. I make art. Um, I've got a ton of surfing left in me. So yeah, we'll see. Wherever the wind blows me as well go. Magic man. Hope we hopefully uh yeah, see you down under at some point pretty soon. Absolutely. End of this year. I'm I'm hoping trying to get there. Magic brother. All right. Take care, Ricky. Sick. Thank you, man. Much love. See you, brother. Much See you love. Later.